Today's On the Rails features spirits provided by Fainting Goat Spirits out of Greensboro, North Carolina, and Gin Spirits in Nashua, New Hampshire. Fainting Goat use 100% North Carolina grains that are crafted in-house to ensure quality flavor profiles, creating spirits that challenge the routine, such as the ones in their award-winning Tiny Cat Vodka and Gin Spirits blend ancient recipes with cutting-edge engineering and distilling techniques as evidenced with their Krupnik honey liqueur. If you are in North Carolina or New Hampshire, give them a visit or go to their website anytime, anywhere. And now, on to the show. You guys call your mothers? I'm calling her after, after I record this podcast. I don't want to make you feel bad, Molly, but my mother passed away in 2016. Yeah, but you can pray to her. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Fuck you. I was telling Scott that I was thinking about her a lot. Oh, that's nice. I miss her. She's terrific. This is to her. What are we kidding? Yeah. To Louise Beth Diavolo Furnace. 100%. I miss you. I love you. She's the best. Cheers. She was the best. She had such a crush on Pete. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you know who it was? It was Andy Schneeflock. Yeah. Because before she passed away, my mom got very active on Facebook in a way that I found extremely harrowing. <laughs> she was, for a while, like 2014, she was the funniest thing on the internet. Louise Beth Diablo Furnace on Facebook. She, she was, would she would comment on every single one of I Andy Schneeflock's she pictures. Really, really going in. Hard She'd be on like, Schneeflock. "You're looking good." <laughs> <laughs> Listeners don't know who Andy Schneeflock is. You can see him on a trailer that, for that trailer for Bridge of Spies. Yeah. Yes, looking disapprovingly on at Tom Hanks, mm-hmm. a Geico ad. A Geico ad. He's in a Geico ad. He's on Netflix's Orange Is the New Black. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A couple episodes of that. Mm-hmm. Andy Schneeflock. Looking good. You heard it here first, folks. He's about to blow up, I think. Yeah. He said that last night, actually. He I was know. like, He says that all the time. That is true. Yeah. To your mom, too. Cheers. Cheers to everyone's mom. Amen. Happy Mother's Day, guys. Happy Mother's Day. And just like any traditional Mother's Day, celebrating by doing a podcast where we drink at 9 p.m. at night, I'll play like 20 seconds of this theme and then. Oh, I'll do the stick really fast. Today's On the Rails features spirits provided by. Right, already pushing the red level. My guests just jumped back with pain in their ears from my primal cries because it is the third ever on the rails happy Mother's Day edition. We are back again. I am your host, not Kristen Stott Thomas, aka I hope you Scott in hell, aka baby Scott back, actual name Scott Thomas, and with me. <laughs> Baby Scott Bag. Oh, wow. Baby Scott Bag is so good and so dumb. <laughs> That's the line I try to walk. Good and dumb all the time. Oh. 
And I am taking you guys on that tightrope with me. Who am I taking? Well, two people I've known for five years Ooh, now. Five guys, years. Half a decade doing improv with Ten Bones Theater Company with these lovely two people to my left. You can see her on the UCB team, Women and Men, and she's currently writing for a yet-to-be-named television program <laughs> going big time. And she also works with Lady Parts Justice League. It is Molly Gaby. Molly, how you doing? I'm good. You can just call me Gaby Scott back. (laughs) Holy moly. This stuff comes all that long, and it's natural. You know, I came up with that out of nowhere. 100% organic, stupid, and dumb. That's how we roll on this program. (laughs) (laughs) And to my right... The man himself, you can see him with Area 52 at UCB. You can see him making government work for the city of New York. That's right, even a bigger woo for that. The greatest city and the greatest country in the history of the human species, everybody. (laughs) He should be a (laughs) voiceover artist with chops like that. It is Ben Furness. Dude, how you rocking? It's great to be here, man. Thanks for having me on. It is great. This to, is so fun. It is great to have both of you on. Both of these beautiful individuals helped me test this podcast in its infancy. When it was a baby podcast. Mm-hmm. When it's just learning how to walk. You're really the mothers of this podcast <gasps> on Mother's Dang. Day. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's the only amount of mother I ever want to be <laughs> of a podcast. Absolutely. We're gender non-conforming here, too. So we're just making <laughs> yeah. it work like that. And speaking of... Love ma- makes a mother, you know? Mm-hmm. That's what I always say. <laughs> It feels like a line we would pull at 10 bones. <laughs> Love makes a mother. Pussy. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? And the truth is, we are here drinking right now. We are drinking C.B. Fisher's Single Malt Whiskey by Fainting Goat and Krupnik Honey Liqueur by Gin Spirits. And if you're asking yourself, wait, why are we drinking? Here's the point of the program, guys. Here's the point of On the Rails. We're going to do a deep dive on the pop culture that made this week matter. We are the program that turns think tanks into drink tanks that make sense of a senseless world senselessly. How do we do that? We play a drinking game that none of us know the rules to. I've made up rules for Molly and Ben. Maybe they've made up rules for me. Maybe we've all made rules for each other. The point is, we don't know. And if anyone on the program figures out the rules, they win a $10 gift card... To Juice Press. Juice Press. Pressing the juices. Oh, Jesus. It's worth noting that we are not sponsored by Juice Press, nor is that their theme song, but it should be. I uh, I, I didn't have a rule coming in, but I just thought of one. So get ready. Fantastic. For both of you. That killed us last week. Rachel Shank had no rules for anybody, and she noticed that I was talking about other podcasts a lot, and mm. she brutalized me. Wow. I got beaten. Mm. Down. Are we not allowed to talk about other podcasts, or can we talk about other podcasts? You can talk about other podcasts. Really? (laughs) (laughs) That was last year's... (laughs) Last week's rule. It it feels like last year. A lot has happened this week, and Mm -hmm. we will be diving in on that. But before we dive in on that, we want to do a little bit of celebrating. It is Mother's Day, after all. So we are going to do a little something that I call, I'll drink to that. Yeah, boy! That was a beautiful tag (laughs) for that. (laughs) Everyone else has let it fade into silence, Mm -mm. but Mm -mm. no. 
You understand the value of a good button. I'm just really enjoying the spiced honey liquor. I don't want to seem like I'm product placing, but it's. Uh, totally I wish good. people would do it it's more. Really good. Product I'll, place. I I, well, I tried to encourage. I always try to encourage guests to talk about it, and we get mm-hmm. onto the subjects. But my dream is that we spend half the podcast going, "Ah, oh, fuck, that's really good." Your corporation's dream, baby boy. That's really it. We have no sponsors yet. <laughs> we are waiting for you. <laughs> and speaking of waiting, I've actually been waiting all week to do my "I'll Drink to That." It's a little somber, but I'm going to go there. That's okay. okay. We'll get it started this way. My "I'll Drink to That" is to Frighten Rabbit lead singer Scott Hutchinson. Mm. Who passed away a few days ago at the age of 36. And this is a bizarre one for me insofar as I don't think I've done much processing about this yet. And my journey with him and the band is, I don't really know how to feel about it, if I'm being perfectly honest, because I feel as though I should be very, very sad. Mm-hmm. This band is as meaningful to me as any band I've ever listened to. I have played their songs at more parties than I can count at the moment when a guitar comes out. Also, the buried lead is I am that guy who picks up a guitar at a party. I'm that walking cliche. (laughs) I remember playing one of their songs for a cast that included Brian Tyree Henry from Atlanta, actually, Mm. and this guy, Guy Adkins, who was one of my acting heroes. We had to play a song for the entire cast. It was one of the ways we all got to know each other, and I did the twist by Frightened Rabbits. So whether it was me at 22 in my first professional show or attending a concert that really led to the end of one of my relationships or whether it was sharing a practice space with this band, they have been in and around so many different facets of my life. And that was the bizarre thing about Scott passing this week and why I wanted to offer my I'll drink to that to him, which is I haven't known how to feel sad yet because I feel so full of his discography and of the work. I can count so many times that these individual songs have have shaped my life, and in a weird way, it doesn't feel like he's gone or the band is gone because there's so much that's in there. And any other artist that's mattered to me that's passed away, it has felt like an ending. And for some reason, this hasn't yet. And I can't think of another (laughs) group or performer who's left me with so much that I think I'm going to be okay. At some point, it's going to hit me like a wave, but he's given me so much, just volumes and volumes of actual experiences and actual songs to go back to that it's like he's more a part of me now than he's ever been now that he's gone, which is not something I ever expected to feel. Grief manifests itself in so many strange ways, and this is the last thing I would have thought I would have encountered, but I now know that for certain, that this artist and that band have filled me to the brim with experiences and songs and things that will will carry me forward to the degree that in my side career as a music supervisor, I sync them on a project I'm very, very proud of. We got them licensed for a film, so I can even look at my life with them as going from a fan that saw them at pianos, you know, in a back room in New York one night to, oh, hey, I got to do professional work with this. They're a measure of everything I've ever gone through, really heretofore in a way. And so to that and to the unbelievable body of work that Scott Hutchinson left us with, and if you don't know Frightened Rabbit, no matter who you are, I think you can find something in their work. They're one of those 
groups that I think now we will realize were and are still seminal to him. I say, I'll drink to that. And to Frightened Rabbit, I drink to that. Thank you for everything you guys have ever been. Yes. So I'll stick to my guns, but from now on it's war. I'm armed with the past and the will and a brick. Neither no. have I, Scott, actually. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're this weird band that achieved a certain level of indie fandom. Hmm. And then, in a weird way, plateaued. They had one big album, The Midnight Organ Fright, that took everyone by storm and everyone, what am I talking about, really white indie rock people. <laughs> yeah. I think when it came out in 2006, 2008. And it was 2008. Yeah, it was 2008. And then... They kind of stayed at this level where they were maybe on a mid-tier stage at Lollapalooza or Boston Calling, and they consistently released pretty good records, but they never went, they never pulled an arcade fire and ascended into fully mainstream consciousness. And my theory is always that they were too sad in a real way Mm. to ever be Mm. that group that took the leap because they weren't the group you talked about listening to. I, the best example I'll give is this because I know Molly, you know this guy, Ed Bauer. So uh, Edward Bauer is is a mutual friend of the program. And Drink. Oh, <laughs> yes! Oh, so shit. like th- this to me is a quintessential Frightened Rabbit experience. I was doing, wow, I was doing a Midsummer Night's Dream with Pete and Claire and Claire McNulty. And Ed drink, Bauer. Drink. Oh, God! <laughs> I have to drink like three times. Okay, so I was doing... The show with a lot of people that we know. (laughs) And there was a segment where I had to play guitar. I just had to play guitar for 20 minutes. Really, whatever it is I wanted to play. And during one of the... (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm leaving that in. That's fantastic. So there was a segment where I had to play guitar for 20 minutes, and it was whatever I wanted to play. And I started playing a song by Frightened Rabbit. And Ed started singing along. Mm-hmm. And not just singing along, but he knew all the words, and I did a harmony part, and it was like, yes, we have both listened to this song at an ungodly hour, probably three or four whiskeys deep, mm-hmm. and confronted our heartache. That's, I feel, how you encountered Frightened Rabbit person to person, and why, if you don't know them or haven't heard of them, not only is that absolutely understandable, but it's probably why you haven't talked about them with many people because it's a little bit like Fight Club. You don't talk about them, but once you're in, you're in all the way. So that's my my spontaneous hot take on that. Um, anybody else have a have an offering? You got one, Gaby? Um, I guess I'll drink to um, a piece of theater this week. Oh, oh heck I yeah. I did see Angels in America. Oh. Damn. Part uno y dos. You saw them both. I did see them both. It was my birthday present to myself. That's great. And happy birthday. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I also missed, I got too hungover this week. And I met, have you ever like had tickets to a show and then missed it because you're hungover? That's bad. I'm too hungover. I've old never to done that. that. That's. I actually, one of the weirdest experiences of my life was going to a show too hungover on my 21st birthday party and not being able to tell if I was 
really awake or asleep the entire time. That was my experience for Dear Evan Hansen. Everybody loved it, and I was like, it made me sick. <laughs> and then it just, the whole thing sounded like a Christian rock musical to me, and I was that was stupid. <laughs> but then all, I was like, I'm, maybe you're just too hungover. All their stuff does vaguely sound Christian rocky. It's I wanted to defend Christian you. Rocky. It's so Christian rocky. The entire Greater Showman soundtrack could be a Christian rock album if you just switched a few lyrics around. And that's not necessarily a criticism. Mm -hmm. I just think, like, that's the level of broad uplift that they're playing with. Yeah. You know what I mean? They have a very clear aim, and it's singular. A clear message. And a positive one. How is Nathan Lane? We all want to know. Yeah. We all want to know. I'll dish the dirt. Please, spill that tea. Lane was the worst part of the show. Really? No, no, no. No, he wasn't the worst. Spicy. Uh, But... I had never seen Angels in America before. Mm. I, I had just performed one scene for a directing class in college. Which scene? Uh, that one about it, the oven? The one about the <laughs> oven. <laughs> of course, I played the homeless lady. Oh. Uh, yes, yes. Um, Not the long-suffering wife. No, God, no. I haven't had a long enough life to play that. Oh. But I have been homeless, so that was easy. <laughs> have you really been homeless? No. <laughs> I haven't all... Well, okay, go ahead. Um, Andrew Garfield is the best actor of our generation. Really? I have never been more blown away in my life than a performance. I This is how blown away I was. After I saw the first part, I left the theater and started crying and said out loud, because he had to do a show in you know, three hours from then. Yeah. I cried, tears coming out of my side, out of my eyes, and I said... Let him sleep. <laughs> he needs to rest. And I was truly upset because I was like, I had never felt someone give so much on stage to me. I was like, I was just like, let, let him live. Let him live. I couldn't believe that he had, it was like an Olympic performance. Uh, the only other performance I've seen like that that really affected me like that was uh, Cynthia Rebo in The Color Purple. Other Ooh. than that, I was like... Uh, so I highly recommend it. Four hours went by like that both times. It's... Incredible. Literally incredible. Yeah. Um, I realize you triggered my rule, so you should drink. Fuck. I don't know why I lifted my glass to drink. I was like, nice, <laughs> and I went for it. Oh my god. Garfield is... He's a truly special actor. I haven't seen him in Angels in America, but I had the privilege of seeing him do Death of a Salesman. Hmm. And, I mean, everyone's instrument is different, and I think about acting the way I do athletes and that everyone has certain skill sets, right? Like, LeBron is that mythical beast who seemingly can do everything. Like, the worst part about him is he only sort of has a three-point shot, and so he's a complete three-tool person. So, like, Meryl Streep, is like LeBron, where she seemingly can do anything at all. And I'm watching Andrew Garfield do Death of a Salesman, and I'm not sure if this is your experience of him in Angels in America. Drink. Shoot. But when when he needs to go to 11 out of 10, when he needs to, like, break the fucking theater and take the house down, it looks as easy as breathing. Hmm. He did the Death of a Salesman speech, uh, this famous one about I'm a dime a dozen pop and so are you, and it was like the eyes fell out of my head. <laughs> and, and to be clear, I saw a production of that in the 90s with Brian Dennehy and Ron Eldard, who's an actor that came up on the podcast last week, this great actor from the 90s. And it changed my life. It's one of the things that made me want to do theater. So I went into the Andrew Garfield death of a salesman going, all right, buddy, show me something. And I died. 
I gag for that performance so hard. It just it's incredible. And, mm-hmm. and then it sounds like he repeated that again. I don't I didn't know how that was possible. I yeah. just truly was blown away. Um that is so cool. Yeah. That is so cool to hear. So listeners in New York, go see the show. Listeners in the UK and Finland, because we have listeners in the UK and Finland. Wow. Come on over. SoundCloud stats are magical, man. We have fun, we fun. right Finland, Australia, England. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to the program. That's terrific. It's wild. It's absolutely wild. Dude, do you the have whole an, Anglosphere. The whole we have the whole <laughs> Anglosphere. You really got to type. <laughs> uh, I do, yeah. So I'm glad you, we can talk about podcasts because I have just torn through this podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's called Slow Burn. It's by this guy named Leon Nafok. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have heard of this at no. all. I listened to the first episode. You listened to the first episode. Mm-hmm. So the premise is it's revisiting Watergate. Sort of the premise of the the show, and, and the host talks about this in the very first episode, is yeah. a lot of people's knowledge and understanding of Watergate comes from all the president's men. Yes. But... At the the end of the President's Men was actually about two years before Nixon actually finally stepped down mm-hmm. from being the President of the United States. And in those two years, so after the, the Washington Post broke the news of the Watergate break-in, there were all of these crazy things that happened that have sort of faded into the past. But it was – it's the – and it goes character by character and sort of news of the week by news of the week through these two years. And – it's just an incredible reminder that, like, while this all was unfolding, people did not know how this was going to end. Mm-hmm. And people did not understand that all the crazy things they were hearing were actually true, could actually be all connected together. And people who, you know, the, the very first episode is about this woman, so right, good. Martha Mitchell, who's John Mitchell's wife, who essentially, like, tried to reach out and tell people that, like, my husband, who was, you know, one of the closest confidants of President Nixon, is lying to the American people. And she was sort of discarded as everybody called her crazy. Really? They said she, they, they, they gaslit her, uh, said that she was, you know, a, a malcontent, an alcoholic, a, a shut-in. She was essentially trapped in a room. They kept her in a room. They wouldn't let her leave because she knew the truth, or mm-hmm. she or she at least knew that everybody was lying, that that a lot of the official statements that were coming out of the White House were just lies. And, you know, it's, it's obviously resonant with American politics now. It's obviously resonant with, like, how just crazy things can feel when it, it sort of feel like the bumpers are off and, this, and there, there are no breaks and things are sort of careening out of control. And that, it, it, it also ends on sort of a, not a hopeful note, but this note of, like, and then the world keeps going. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the story, at the end of this thing that feels like it's just been building and building and getting f- crazier and crazier and crazier, like there is a next day. And then Gerald Ford is president. And like, <laughs> yeah, the nation continues, right? And I just, I, I tore through it. It was fascinating. It had a lot to say about uh, the rise of conspiracy theories really? in the wake of like people suddenly learning that the government obviously does lie and like the most outlandish crazy things that people can accuse the government of doing sometimes it's real Mm -hmm. sometimes it's true sometimes it really is a conspiracy yeah that's incredible recommend it slow burn so the reason they start they have it now because i forget what the intro was to it but it was something like we're living through currently right now an insane time Mm. so here's like another story and like this has happened before and just to like put our feelings of being just like 
in this vortex of insanity. Yeah. I love that they just feels really relevant. And, and this is something I was thinking about this week with Evil Genius premiering on Netflix. My partner is a huge, huge, huge true crime person. Are, Molly, are you a true crime person? Ben, I know you're not as, not as really. big on it. Can't get enough. Can I get enough? <laughs> Have you watched Evil Genius yet? I watched the first 10 minutes and then was like, oh, this is much more intense than I thought it was going to be. I can't believe they show you. That's the fundamental. Wait, what is true? What is Evil Genius? So, Evil Genius is the story of the infamous pizza bomber, which is something I vaguely remembered I from remember my childhood, it, but I didn't really track. And this story tracked over a few years. And what it was was this guy named Brian wandered into a bank to rob it with a cane that was actually a gun, a shirt that said guess on it. And a bomb wrapped around his neck. And eventually, the police corner him, and they have him down against a squad car. And the bomb starts beeping. And he starts going, it's going to go off. This is all on video, and they show you this in, within the first Jesus 10 minutes. Christ. There's no warning. And then you see this guy get blown to bits. Holy shit. Yes. You really do. And he's ca- talking calmly the whole time. He's like, please help me get this thing off. I think it's going to go off soon. And then you hear go, it is unbelievably intense. I was not prepared for it at all. And it is, I highly recommend binging through it. It's four episodes. You can really get through it. The story is insane. It takes labyrinthian plot twists. But to your point, really both your points, I have not been a true crime guy. This was a gateway for me. My partner is really a huge true crime fan. And I keep thinking when you watch a story like this and a story like Slow Burn, you realize that the world keeps moving in the face of this madness. And this story is insane. The the evil genius, where it goes, who it winds up being responsible, the fact that someone wandered into a bank with a bomb collar around their neck and seeing all this it feels apocalyptic and stranger than fiction and there's no way that the wheels of life could have kept turning but truly this thing happened over 10 years it's still not totally solved jesus and what year did this take place in it took place in 2003 and it tracks all the way to 2013 i want to say wow yeah it goes to for about a decade And there's something amazing about being reminded that our lives just go on while all this is happening. Whether it's in the context of government or the context of crazy crimes that we can't even begin to process as real, as real things that happen. That's why I like true crime, baby. It's got to be true. It's got to be true. True crime is crazier than fiction. I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's just like the whole Watergate thing is like truly... Bananas. The thing that I love, and maybe 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 I like maybe I should like true crime, right? The thing that I love is recognizing that history is made up of chance hmm. and like bumble fucking around idiot people trying to cover their own asses, yeah. like yeah. making mistakes, trying to like ju- retroactively justify it, like making what they think is the right decision ends up being totally wrong. Like I love that. I love that. It's like even like. Watergate, right? Like it, it was only a conspiracy because they did a series of dumb things and tried to cover their ass, right? Like it wasn't planned from the beginning. It was entirely based on a series of yeah. mistakes and yeah. cover-ups. That's what right? I love so much about the human condition is that 
there's another show called American Greed that it's like totally about this that they'll commit like a low level crime, mm-hmm. and then the. I'm just so fascinated how humans can just get so out of control, and that's how how it leads to murder. Because they're like, I did this little thing, and I, if maybe I can get away with this. Yeah, that's such a human thing, and I'm so obsessed with uh, shows about it. Yes. And it's so different than there is a set of evil geniuses who are planning meticulously these grand operations that like go off without a hitch, right? Like, yeah, that's not the kind of conspiracy that I think is fascinating because I don't think those kinds of conspiracies really exist that often, mm-hmm. right? I feel like it's secret weirdos who like think they're going to get away with something and then they fuck up and things get things go wrong it's 100% is and what's interesting is that for years and years our comfort food has been crime in control like how many of us are huge law and order fans I love law and order I love putting that show on in the background or (laughs) having it on and what is it if not like a very clean depiction of things that are very, very messy. Mm. And now in an era that's really, really messy, we're finding our way to entertainment, usually nonfiction, that reinforces the mess. Mm. And that's a fascinating dichotomy shift that I didn't really track as a thing. But I was realizing I had a bias against true crime for a really long time as it was showing up in my household more and more. I was thinking of it sort of the same way I thought about romance novels as like this buried section in the back of a Barnes and Noble Mm. that I never spent time in. And now it's this visceral, real thing that either offers you a tonic for what you believe in or like kind of reinforces your need to feel anxious. Like, yes, it's all real. Your neighbor next door could be just as crazy as you think. (laughs) And maybe that's actually what you need to hear. I mean, it's sort of, you can go either way with it. And it's an incredible genre that I want to spend more time with. Mm. There's also a podcast called True Crime Garage where they get drunk as they do it. So clearly I'm a fan. They literally feature a drink before every episode. Love it. So... I want to do a crossover episode eventually. <laughs> Say the name of the Netflix show you just said again. Uh, Evil Genius. Evil Genius. Got to check it out. Which premiered on Friday, May 11th. And that transitions me right into our next segment. Because what do we do? We dive into the week. So it's time to rewind and see what the hell happened over the last seven days. It's time for a little Weekly Rewind. Still my most controversial drop. I like it. Ah. <laughs> Makes me want to move my shoulders. I mean, it did move my shoulders. And that was Fan controversial. Game. Why is it controversial? I had, I just remember when we did the episode with Claire that she looked at me like a car was approaching her. <laughs> <laughs> I think because of Steve Carell screaming in the background. Ah. <laughs> but yes, so the weekly rewind. We take a look at whatever has happened the past week, whatever has been interesting us from the last seven days. And here's the first one that comes up for me, because I know in some of our emails and some of our going back and forth, both this song has come up and this personality has come up and he's been a fixture. And this, I'm learning three weeks into the podcast, is one of the double-edged swords of doing a weekly podcast. You're going to see very easily what the trends are that are shaping the year. Because if something occurs both in the seven-day window where you recorded your last episode and is still a thing when you're recording your next one, clearly it's shaping the discussion. And that is true of Donald Glover this week, both with This Is America and with Atlanta wrapping up its second season. 
The downside of that, or the other side of the sword, is we touched on him a little bit last week, but if someone won the culture this week, I feel like it's him. This is America, literally in the words of the Independent, broke cultural criticism this week. He, they declared it the end of the cultural critic on the internet because <laughs> of the plethora of mm-hmm. hot takes that came out in the wake of that video. Simultaneously, Atlanta ended its second season, which... Holy fucking shit. And apparently Solo is not shit at all. The advanced reviews came out from that, and this apparently is a win, and I was the last person that thought that was going to be the case with all the controversy that was surrounding that movie with the Brothers Lord getting fired and Ron Howard moving in and reports that whatever his name is that plays Han Solo can't act and him having an acting coach. But apparently Donald Glover steals a Star Wars movie... He's released the most important music video of the year to date, and it looks like This Is America is going to debut at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 charts. It's amazing. What a fucking week for this guy. It's conventional wisdom now that the movie should have been Lando. It should have been a Lando movie. Yes. That's like, everybody knows that. Yeah. Okay. Everyone agrees. That's my very lukewarm, uh, ubiquitous take. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And and you've got to imagine that they're going to move forward with that because Alden, however you pronounce his last name, I have zero idea how to pronounce that guy's last name. Let's spill in an interview. What was that? Whose last name? Alden Allenrick. However you say his last name. Um, I was like, (laughs) Alden, the guy from... Uh, what is it, Hail Caesar, Alden, the guy from Hail Caesar, said that there are going to be at least two or three more solo movies and that this movie sets that up. But Mm -hmm. you've got to imagine, much like Scarlett Johansson playing Black Widow, that they're going to see the success of Donald Glover in this movie and get this spinoff going as fast as they possibly can. I want to see how Lando Calrissian sort of rose the ranks of the galactic uh, bureaucracy to become the head of Cloud City. Right. That's super interesting. I would love you, that. Of course. Ben Don't make fun that. of me. <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting. Uh, well, okay, okay. Yeah. I would actually love nothing more, and I'm not being ironic at all, than to see the Atlanta team in the Star Wars universe tackle that exact <laughs> storyline. Because as Donald Glover pointed out in an SNL sketch this week, there's like five black people in the entire Star Wars universe, Mm -hmm. as is written in the film canon. Mm -hmm. And Atlanta, if anything, and look, before I say anything about Atlanta, let me just acknowledge like the weird elephant in the room. We're three white people that are going to be talking about Donald Glover. (laughs) That's weird. I do think that Donald Glover wants mainstream America to talk about his work, which means white critics talk about his work. But anything we think is coming from that perspective... That being true, I would love to see that team actually tackle the weird elephant in the room that is Star Wars diversity problem, yeah. which is plagued by Asian stereotypes and by like a now increasing amount of minority characters, but really not that many for a huge <laughs> galaxy, yeah. for a huge <laughs> galaxy. And to see them deal with bureaucracy the same way they have dealt with race in America in a very surreal way, I would be all on board mm-hmm. for Hiro Mirai and Donald Glover lending their eye to that. That would be so cool. Ah, oh, it'd be great. Yeah, that'd be amazing. So he had a hell of a week, and I'm sure we're going to get back to him later when we talk the song of summer, because that's one of our main focuses. But I'm looking at the rest of my Google Doc notes. Here's some of the other stuff that I know happened. This was a huge week for television, with shows getting axed and shows getting renewed. We had the Brooklyn Nine-Nine drama. Are you guys fans of that show? 
Uh, I've it. seen a bunch of episodes primarily on airplanes. That's it's even f- better on planes, I will it's, say. And I, I, I binge a bunch of them, and it's really funny. It's funny. That's a weird... Bar- I, yeah. yeah. I was say that's a weird buried lead, like airplane entertainment. There yep. are things that are genuinely better on airplanes. Like Brooklyn I, Nine-Nine, I would respect that. Yeah. And but, there's things that are worse. Like, don't watch Whiplash on the fucking plane because they... I didn't know this, but when I was watching it, they bleep out all the curse words. No! And that, so I didn't understand why he was like, you s- sucker, I'm, I'm gonna mess you up. I was like, this guy isn't even that bad. <laughs> 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 I had no idea. That was, Which that airline so were you on that they bleeped that out? It's not even that they bleeped it out, they changed they the changed words. They changed the words. You, you summon up, uh, you're fat as a cow. Like, I was like, that's... I will say this. I do enjoy when the filmmakers get in on the act of bleeping something out and it becomes an art form unto itself. Shane Black, whose movie The Predator had his trailer premiere this week. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is one of my favorite movies. And I've obviously not made a point to watch it on television because it's one of my favorite movies and that man is a master of profanity. But I happened to see it on TNT a year or two ago. And it turns out that Shane Black wrote all the substitutions. So every swear, he came up with what's in there, and it's like an on-air troll job. It's so so ridiculous. It's so stupid. It becomes an entirely different film, and it's sort of a joy to watch if you have seen the movie before. If you haven't, you'll probably shut it off after five minutes. Everybody's calling each other feather pluckers. Yes, exactly. (laughs) You feather plucker! I think poopy head actually gets said at one point, and it's... Kanye West. We're going to have some Kanye West hot takes later. I have zero doubt. Mm. Kanye was randomly not in the news this week, but in a segment that I like to call hashtag him too, people that have worked with Kanye were. Him too is just a quick check-in on who sexually assaulted who back when and where we are with that. Mm -hmm. So here it is. Baby R. Kelly, who that's my nickname for Chris Brown, uh, allegedly raped a woman at his house. That was reported by the New York Times. Jeffrey Tambor not getting Emmy consideration for Transparent anymore. And Tambor claimed this week that the claims are a coup to have him removed from the program, which is the most Oscar Bluth thing that he could have possibly done. So way to become that character. Clayne Crawford was fired from Lethal Weapon due to toxic masculine onset behavior. They are recasting the role of Martin Riggs. R&B producer Detail, who made Drunken Love by Beyonce, was accused of rape by two women. And this is the big one. R. Kelly and XXX Tentacion, and I have zero idea if that's how you say his name. They were both removed from Spotify playlists in lieu of Spotify's new hate speech policies. Huh. And Apple Music has followed suit. So what's interesting about this, and I don't know if you guys have any specific perspectives on this, but this was a big one for me this week. They are removed from the playlists. They are not removed from Mm -hmm. the music streaming source. But the playlists, and this will come up when we talk about the Song of Summer, are a huge aggregate for streams moving forward. Playlists are a big premium in the way that radio used to be. So they are not going to advertise these artists moving forward. Mm -hmm. What that means for R. Kelly, I'm not sure. What that means for a guy like um, XXX Tentacion, if that's how you say his name, who would potentially want to be in the Mm -hmm. discussion of Song of Summer, that's a huge stream that he's now cut off from. Mm -hmm. And some of the questions that have come up is like, 
what does it mean to just remove these two guys? Do you go back and remove someone like Axl Rose, who has a horrible history hmm. of homophobia and potential sexual assault? Even someone like Nick Carter, you know, for the Backstreet Boys, who's been on the chopping block, or is it enough to deal with artists moving forward? Chris Brown, who's on two songs on the T Grizzly album that came out this week, that album is still very much on the charts. So where are we drawing the line and how? Did you guys have anything to say about this? Anything you're I thinking? Feel like, it's I don't know. I went to law school, so and everything is always a category fight, right? Yeah. Like what, what, where do you draw the line? Who's in? Who's out? Who's good? Who's bad? And it never bothered me, as it seems to bother everyone else, that like sometimes you just sort of take it one one question at a time, right? Yeah. You, you don't you don't try to immediately jump to like generalizable principles that will apply to all artists at all times. You're just sort of like I think the culture sort of decided that R. Kelly. We don't really want them on our playlist. And everyone's like, all right, that makes sense. And yeah. you sort of leave it at that for now. And maybe there'll be another one, and maybe some people will be removed in the future. But, if I mean, I didn't even realize actually how light it was, right? Like, you can still search for R. Kelly's music. Absolutely. You can still find it. You can still put it on your own personal playlist if you want. Yeah. It's like, this is, this. the stakes of this are so low. It just seems like... Super so, low. And people are like, this is the end of free speech as we know it. It's like, this is not even, this is nothing. This no. is... If you want to find R. Kelly, you can find it. It will be just as easy for you to load up Ignition as it was before this policy was right. put into place. I think it is different for a guy like XXS Tentacion, and of course, like I've had to say his drink. name three times. Oh, there it is. That's a new rule. You just have to drink when you try to pronounce it. <laughs> oh, you should drink from before another thing I've just remembered. Sweet. <laughs> I respect that. That's how this program goes. But no, I actually, to your point about, you were actually mentioning this with regards to slow burn, we're all figuring it out in the moment. Yeah. And I think that's worth mentioning. And an interesting parallel, not parallel, that came up for me was last year around this time, it broke in the emo music circuit that a lot of these bands were responsible for some awful, awful things. Yeah. And the band Power Bottom, who seem to have preyed on a bunch of people. Such what, a nice name, though. Such I know, a, they seem like really nice right, what, a lov- <laughs> what a lovely name. They were scrubbed overnight. Just, they became sort of the poster children for this scene has had a problem. Whoop, you're gone. Their yeah. new album that was supposed to be their breakthrough went off of Spotify completely, went off of Apple Music completely. About three weeks after that, brand new who have a lot more clout, it broke that their front man had engaged in some fairly awful things over Skype with underage girls. Now, the band took a hit. I believe they canceled their tour. Mm. I'm not 100% positive, but there was some backlash. They're very much so searchable. They didn't commercially suffer for that decision. And there was some controversy about, well, Power Bottom are a queer band. Why Mm. do we do this to a queer band versus not? Mm. And I always wondered, is that a thing? And actually, to your point, I think it was, we're dealing with this in the moment. And it felt like the decision. Exis Tentacion, I have to drink. I just (laughs) tried to say his name. He's done awful, awful things. Are they as quantifiably awful as anything Chris Brown has or has not done? They've both done shit. That's been proven in courts of law. Chris Brown is still very much active. This other guy is not. I think we're figuring it out in the moment. Yeah. And I wish we could appreciate that we're trying to figure it out as, as much as dealing with, like, what are we going to figure out? It's not that anyone should get a break for giving someone a break. Like, this is an ongoing discussion. Yeah. But I am glad that something's happening as opposed to nothing yeah. happening. Like, I had a weird experience where 
I, and I got involved with a website called Noisy because they were reporting on Kodak Black, who's another um, entertainer, he's a rapper, and he was accused of domestic battery charges. Mm-hmm. And they were still using a hashtag that was very popular, which was free Kodak Black. And I kind of went after him and was like, can we not do that until he's been proven innocent or guilty? You know, as quite frankly, someone should have done back with Axl Rose in the day if something with hashtags had existed. It's not just rappers. Like, this has been a long-going music thing. The industry is rife with people Mm -hmm. that have been problematic. And they were awesome. They took down that hashtag. But we've kind of forgotten about Kodak and his issues. Yeah. Like, that's moving forward. These things happen at a moment's clip the same way news happens at a moment's clip that, like, you kind of deal with it in the moment and something else draws your attention. You forget about it. It feels so arbitrary. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I'm a firm believer that there are a lot of different actions that fall under the umbrella of, you know, sexual harassment, sexual assault, really, really inappropriate workplace behavior. And, like, thank goodness there are a ton of different ways that people can be sanctioned, marginalized, Mm -hmm. you know, the criminal justice system is like a perfectly appropriate place for a lot of these issues to be resolved. But, you know, being fired from jobs, being socially shamed, like all this is a a wide and colorful palette of different consequences, all of which I think are appropriate in different circumstances. And like, I think we should be totally flexible in how we, you know, sanction certain people and and hold people accountable. Yeah, absolutely. And and that you hope that we will incorporate this moving forward, not just in a punishment sense, but in the way that we listen. Chris Brown, it's, like, painful that he still has a career. Because, like, even with other people and, like, accusers coming forward, people can just be like, oh, those women aren't telling the truth, whatever. There's just, like, such visceral evidence of what Chris Brown did, and even since that, his career has taken off. So I just, like... And what's so intense is that he embraced it. He became the Walter White of pop music, right? Like, he went from being the guy who was writing prom anthems to the guy who was doing the song Look At Me Now with Wayne Buster Rhymes, where he just gets as nasty as he possibly can. He was like, I'm going to double down on this shit. And he made it work. And that's insane on one level. And... We need someone like that. We don't want it to be a guy who's actually done it, but there's always been like a rock music, pop music icon that has been like, oh, let me hold your darkest impulses for you. We roll with the antihero, which is not to justify anything that the man has done. It's inexcusable. I think this is not, seriously, this is not unrelated to the intellectual dark web. And the sense that people have, yes. like, an unpopular opinion when, in fact, what they have is the most boring, dominant, yes. traditional opinion that you can possibly imagine, which is like, hey, my big idea is that men are better than women or that <laughs> white people are better than people of color. I'm These are the oldest, mind. most toxic ideas that our society yes. has. And they are the notion that they can, like, reframe this as somehow subversive or interesting in any way when it is just tapping into the most insidious and toxic parts of this culture that have been, you know, the ideology of the most powerful people for as long as this country has existed, right? It's Yeah, Yeah. and it suggests that all you have to do is find a way to make an idea look sexy, Mm. which is a weird word to use. I hate the idea that I would use that word in conjunction with the intellectual dark web, but... Sexy at its base level is appealing. 
Yeah. And like that was the complaint leveled against this article in the New York Times. Yeah. That it kind of made it feel low-key appealing what these guys have put together on the intellectual dark web. And if you don't know what this is, (laughs) it is a supposed conglomeration of thinkers, and this broke this week as a accepted mainstream term, a collection of right-wing thinkers that feel disenfranchised by the mainstream media. And Ben sent us this kind of incredible article that was in Current Affairs. I'm trying to remember the name of the guy that wrote it. It is so, so good and I will post it on the On The Rails Facebook page and the link on our Instagram. Please go check it out. Also, give us a follow at On The Rails Pod, Instagram, Twitter. I'm just going to, you know, product place where I can. But that these issues, as Ben was saying, they're rooted in a very old and archaic framework. And these guys have managed to make it seem like it's this new hotness and that it's worth creating a a kind of viral excitement Mm -hmm. around which is just not at all true. It's reductive, if anything. Yeah, and it's 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 it is a set of ideas that tells the power, the most powerful people in this country, that they are powerful for a reason. Yes. which is some of the least courageous types of ideas to be peddling. Yes, yeah. it's, it's the it's the opposite of subversive. It is one hundred percent just reinforcing all of the hierarchies. But that those exist. Uh, those photos, I will say, make them look pretty badass. Who's the guy who's like jacking off the end? <laughs> <laughs> he has his hand around like a phallus of a tree root. <laughs> they're they're pretty dark, you know. Yeah. They look cool. They look That's amazing. They, also, who took those photos? Was it someone ridiculous. from the Times? It's was so it an crazy. AP? It's so crazy. It's, what they, it's exactly how they want to be portrayed, too. Yes. It's like Lenny Riefenstahl of- bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Like it really is. It's propaganda it's, of the highest mm, order. Everyone just wants to feel special. It's true. And that's not, that's not wrong, but no. Their entire project is to say that certain people don't deserve to feel special or are not special mm-hmm. for... Reasons, reasons for yeah. science. For, like, important intellectual reasons, but it's... And I'm wondering, is there an equivalent on the left where that's concerned, where SJWs are concerned? It was something I was thinking about because I did just do this film, and one of the guys that the film is about is a big SJW warrior. He was referred to by Wired as, like, the doxing guru of the left. And seven days into working with this man... He never introduced himself mm. as source material for the film. Mike Coulter, fucking Luke Cage, plays this guy in the movie. Mm. And at no point did this individual say, I'm Daryl Jenkins. I'm Daryl Lamont Jenkins. I'm the guy. We were playing HQ trivia together. Mm. And that's when it came up. And I was like, bro, I feel like any one of these alt-right equivalents would have let me know who they were instantaneously. Yeah. And would have been telling me their politics from moment one. And the non-equivalency there to me is fascinating yeah. because I do wonder if it's why they get a little bit more coverage than someone mm-hmm. like Daryl, who has been on the front lines really for the last few years, whether it was with Antifa or with his own project. And it's like, nah, I didn't know who he was until I was a part of this film. But I can tell you what Milo posted on Facebook, you know, a week ago. That's There's a discrepancy there to me that I can't mm-hmm. quite... Yeah, I mean, I think there are a set of ideas on the left that, like, everybody on the right thinks are reprehensible and, like, half to two-thirds of Democrats, like, roll their eyes. Totally. And, like, those are actually the ideas that are marginalized in this society. (laughs) Right. 
Yeah. Not the ideas that like New York Times readers like secretly believe or like chat about at cocktail parties, but would never admit mm-hmm. that they believe. Totally. Which was the point of that. Like rich of- people deserve all their money. <laughs> and they're smarter. Clink. Yeah, Clink-tink. honestly. Which is the po- which like you could get from watching any episode of Mr. Robot. It's very boring. Like <laughs> but, but like and it was it was yeah, sure. Great. We're pouring a little bit more. Why not? Um and, and it was in a what was the name of this article? It was on yeah, current so affairs. It's a great article. And it, it makes exactly this point. It's called um The Real Dangerous Ideas. And and it makes exactly this point. Right? That there's there's a set of ideas that, you know, around mass incarceration and white supremacy and, yeah. the, and the United States is a settler colonial state that, you know, is rooted in genocide. Like all of these things that like you say out loud and Republicans are like, that's totally crazy. That's anti-American. And even Democrats are sort of like, really? Like, you're really going to talk about that? Like, can't you cheer up? Like <laughs> that is th- those. I mean, you know, it's, it's by a, a gentleman named Nathan J. Robinson. Yeah. And, and, and he talks about a, a, a set of thinkers on the you know, on, on, on the left from j- just identifies them not to say, like, these are the real cool intellectual rebels, but just mm-hmm. to say that, like, these are people whose ideas both have more truth than the ideas of the so-called intellectual dark web and are truly marginalized. Right. Like there is no member of Congress that could stand up and say these things in a in a in a sort of open setting and not, you know, face a lot of blowback, both from from the opposite party, obviously, and even on their own party being like, you know, no, we really need to focus on what's positive about this country and what's great about this country. Yeah. You know, it's a framework that we're not embracing at all. And and the framework really matters Mm -hmm. a tremendous amount. Yeah. And speaking of framework, I'm going to transition us into our big issue because we covered a lot of the big hot points from this week. And our main thing of the day is taking a census of pop music and the song of summer 2018. Talk about the Song of Summer 2018. False. False. Never too early. Never too early. I start the day after Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it's my New Year's tradition. So here's here's the thing. I think it is worth noting at bare minimum that we're talking about two things when we discuss the Song of Summer, right? When we discuss the Song of Summer, we are looking on some level for a unifying anthem mm-hmm. that rises above the cacophony of breaking news and cultural bias mm. that briefly rids us of our ennui and existential angst. That's wow. at least what wow. it has been mm. what it up until be. this year. Can yes. Be. That is mostly what it's been. That may not be what it is this year. Who Should it say? be? That's a what question. That's a big question I have. But what that means is that the Song of Summer is not necessarily always your favorite Song of Summer. Mm. It's usually elected democratically. Mm. And I feel much like knowing when you're getting a tattoo, you know when the Song of Summer has arrived. Mm. Like you have that moment when you're like, oh, this is it. Here it is. So what we're doing on some level is prognosticating. Not because it's too early, but because... It's not clear that moment's arrived yet. Mm. And also to make one distinction that I personally think is important, because I think sometimes we get tricked on this count, 
There are also songs that remind us of summer hmm. that play off the nostalgia factor. Hmm. And nostalgia is a big element of summer itself, right? Like trips to the beach or baseball games or baseball, block baby. parties. Just baseball for just, me. Just summer baseball for Gabe. baseball for Molly. <laughs> can I ask a, can I ask a question about sports? Please. What sports are played during the summer? Baseball? Just baseball. Just baseball. Mm-hmm. Occasionally the World Cup and the Summer Olympics, okay. but mostly baseball. Baseball, baby. Yeah. It's there's almost nothing played in summer because it's really too hot. It's too hot. hot for any sport where you would have to run around on a consistent basis, and you do not have to do that in baseball. Oh, yeah, baseball players have such big butts. <laughs> it's majestic Hockey. to go to a baseball game live and basically see everybody in a held twerk position. Mm. I went to a Mets game the other day, and literally everyone is just like in that half bent over. Mm-hmm. Right. It's inc- right. It's incredible. So, given those two things, given those things, uh, we determined a little rubric. Uh, mostly Ben actually sent out this rubric. I sent I'm out a draft. I went sent out a draft. And I really liked it, and we're going to go with it. So, here are the factors that we're going to use to determine our song of summer in May 2018. Catchiness, because mm-hmm. the song has to be an earworm. Timeliness, mm-hmm. because it has to both speak to our current moment and be a time capsule years from now. You want to look back at the song and go, mm-hmm. oh, that was 2018 right. summer. Yes. We're not just picking a song of the summer. We're picking song of the summer 2018. 18. Precisely. Very specific. Danceability, because uh-huh. it's always a jam. Got to move. Ubiquity, because we got to all know it, mm-hmm. and people that are not into pop culture should know this song. Mm-hmm. And then the buried one is chart position because that's your gut check for ubiquity. And I'm going to go off for a second here because I've seen a lot of metrics by which we measure the song of summer and chart position is always on there. And I'm going to say that this year it's a gut check and not an actual measure because check this out. So Spotify's Rap Caviar, right? That is a huge ass playlist. That is one that determines a ton of how rap gets popular. And you could argue that a song on that playlist, if you see it on that playlist and Apple Music and on your Facebook feed, and that would be true of This Is America this week, you must think, okay, that's achieving ubiquity. But the Billboard charts give you a totally different narrative. Here is Apple Music's top 10 versus Billboard's top 10 right now. Apple, we got Nice For What by Drake. Love it. Love it. So, Jesus. so good. That is an... Oh, so you have to drink. Oh. Ha, ha, ha. It is an anthem. We get Playboy Cardi with Shooter. This is America by Gambino. Then Post Malone goes on a five-song run with Psycho, Rich and Sad, Ball For Me, and Better Now. God's Plan by Drake, Spoil My Night by Post, Rockstar by Post. Basically, Post Malone is an institution, guys. I don't know if you knew that. He I did not know that. I did not know that. That is, this is a thing we're going to have to reckon with as we have this discussion. Like, the charts are not what we think they are. It's like how you always find out that, you know, 40 million people watch CBS shows that I've never even heard of. Precisely. <laughs> and that's an interesting thing where we're trying to talk about something that achieves yeah. ubiquity. How does it do that and what is our measuring stick? So if you're like... NCIS St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch that show so hard. It's just like... Uh, some... NCIS Cincinnati. <laughs> someone was killed over a bowl of Skyline Chili. It's just little It's disgusting. Of... It's... Spaghetti? It's, oh, it's so gross. Chili on spaghetti. I Have you ever had there, this? I went there and I refused to eat When it. did you go to Cincinnati? On my abortion tour. That makes perfect sense. Bye. 
Yeah. <laughs> I got family in Cleveland, and we went to a skyline. And they were like, oh, it's like regional. They're like, it's technically from Cincinnati, but we went to the Cleveland branch. It is gross. It's gross. You have family in Cleveland? A lot of family in Cleveland. I have, well, I have cats extended family in Cleveland, but that makes me feel like I have family in Cleveland. Cleveland Heights, Shaker Heights. My dad grew up in uh, Cleveland Heights. Yes. She's from Novelty. All right. Yeah. We go to those neighborhoods all the time. It is a Rockefeller city, man. There are beautiful mansions there that you can buy for like the price of a a one bedroom. Let's just all move to Cleveland. In Borum Hill, yeah. There's great it's breweries in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I'm negotiating with some people in Cleveland right now. I want them donating beer. They got a great beer scene. You know what they call the uh, highway that they built along Lake Erie between the city of Cleveland and Lake Erie? No. The Mistake on the Lake. Oh, yes! you know what? That's cute. That's catchy. That Those people are fun. Cleveland? <laughs> yeah. I got a sense of humor. Dennis Kucin has just lost uh, the governor. The governor's primary. Time primary. back to the week. Yeah. yeah. And there was a fun, 538 did a great podcast about the midterms, and they were talking about how Dennis Kucinich is sort of a joke in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he's basically Adam Scott's character from Parks and Recreation. He's the boy mayor that failed. Cleveland was his ice town. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was his ice town, and, and uh, what's your name? Claire Malone was like, yeah, he's going to lose. It doesn't matter where the polls are. He's, mm-hmm. he's Ben White. Well, I think he's instead of lose. ice... Uh, Lake Erie was on fire. Yeah, right? Lake Erie was yeah. literally on fire. It was literally was, on fire. So he lost, and that was another thing that happened this week. But to tie it back. Anyway, back, yep, yep, yep. So the Billboard charts, we have Post Malone, Drake, and Playboy Cardi with one song. And then on Billboard, we got Drake, Stole It Nice for What, Post with Psycho, Drake with God's Plan. But then we got all the country crossovers starting to happen. We have Biba Riza with Florida, Georgia Line, and Meant to Be, that duet, Zed, Marin Morris, and Gray's The Middle. Carmen Carbello with Kane Brown, Never Be the Same. That's a remix where they added a country singer. Two post songs. Block Boy with Drake, Look Alive. And then Ariana Grande's No Tears. Those feel like two alternate worlds. So to me, Mm -hmm. the point of charts now is to gut check what you feel ubiquity is. Because no matter where you are, they provide a reference point. And one of the big things for me this week was discovering that Godsmack which is not a band that any one of the three of us have thought of, had the number eight album in the country this week with their new record, which is not to downplay their importance at all, but to say that if we're going to talk about ubiquity, the charts are a great way to take a census Mm -hmm. on what we feel is taking over. I don't think they're proof because we all are having different experiences of what that is, but it's a good way to be like, For example, if This Is America takes the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100 this week, as it looks like it's going to do, it has achieved some measure of ubiquity outside of the liberal fan base that clearly wants it to succeed in some measure. I'm just going to make a confession, which is my sense of new music is so pitchfork influenced that like it's an entirely different world right like half of those songs i've never even heard of yes because they're not like pitchfork picks right it's not pitchfork best new track no. it's not pitch, so pitchfork different. best new album mm-hmm. and i think it's a really important point when we talk about our song of summer which is where we get our music from yeah. i just did a play in a small town in north carolina that's why i heard meant to be so often which is the biba reza molly uh, is a diehard i'm a diehard b fan yeah um yeah, I mean, I'm so checked out of anything that's not, like, Carly Rae Jepsen level popular and, like, poppy. Yes. You know, so I literally don't know any of that shit on there except Marin Morris. I'm kind of a country crossover girl. Marin Morris is incredible. Do you like the Casey Musgrave album? 
I haven't gotten into it as much as I like. She's almost getting too cool for me. I'm that bad, uh. you know. Um, I've like never listened to a country album before this one, so I'm like exactly the stereotype. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> she's crossing over to me. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a fascinating thing that I wonder is going to be one of the trends that we see moving forward this right. year because I think there's a lot of possible ones, but one of the ones is like country is having a lot of moments right now because it's so easy for them because they haven't had any moments yet. It's like so easy to be on the forefront of any type of social commentary when you're in country. It's like. No one's been gay yet. Like, let's be gay already. Or I guess in pop music, even like Rita Ori's new song, she wanted it to be the bisexual anthem. Yes, she did. And that's one that's certainly a dark horse candidate, which is Girls, which is Rita Ori, Cardi B, mm. Biba Riza, and Charlie 25, who I think is like the most you under. Love her. I am. I carry that torch so hard. <laughs> I carry the Charlie that 25 torch. That album is torch. so good. That album is perfect. I wish it came out now. I'm glad I've had six months with it, but if it came out now, I feel like she'd be in the discussion. I'm very, I very embarrassedly, if you had asked me what her name was, I would have said Charlie XXV. It may still be that. I have no proof that but I'm saying it correctly. But I like Charlie 25. I like her so, 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 so much. It's also, good. by the way, we all have to drink. One of my rules kicked in. Yeah. Should we just vote on the song of the summer? How does this go? Here's what. Can here's we what, play some? Or we, is that, I, I'm planning on playing okay. some of them. So here's what I think we should do. I think what we should do. Because I came in with one idea, and then this entire conversation has led me to maybe think I should pick something else. So, well, here's here's what I think we should do. I think we should submit our pick for both what we want and think it's going to be. Okay. Right? We have two options. There, because you want a certain song to represent your summer. I think you can't help but want that if you're going to have this discussion. It's like you have a particular set of values, and you want to see them realized because... Yeah your feelings becoming ubiquitous. It would be amazing not just on the bass level for everyone to fall in love with the song that represents this euphoric, sunny season for you, but for potentially the politics of that to carry over Mm -hmm. or the feeling of that to carry over. And then I think we should also stipulate what we think it will be. Because to admit our fallacy here, we're doing this in May and some of the people that do have albums coming include, but are not limited to, Biba Riza, who's already on the charts, Shawn Mendes, Nicki Minaj, Kanye West, and Drake. They've all got albums coming. So doing this is playing a game of major dice rolls. So I think we should take a census of what is there and drop our picks. And I have our playlist. By the way, we're going to put this playlist up through our Spotify and Apple Music of all the we gotta nominees. we got to get more Caliuchis on this playlist before we put it up, though. I am going to do that. I will throw some Caliuchis on there because you're right. It's lacking in Caliuchis. But on the Rails pod for Spotify or Apple Music, we will be throwing it up. And I have it loaded here. So as you guys drop your picks, we're going to play the song so we can react to it in real time. And I'll re-edit it in. So let's throw down what we both want it to be and what we think it's going to be. So anybody want to go? I I mean, I'll go first if need be, but if anybody wants to go first. I was on a journey with this. Let me tell you about my journey. Please. So I, I went from This is America, and then I was like, that can't be the song of the summer Mm -hmm. because it is both Mm -hmm. accurate. It is an accurate song. It is an incredible music video. It is not danceable. It is extremely insightful. Mm -hmm. Then I swung all the way to the other side. I like it by Cardi B. I was like, this is like 
basically the perfect song. It's so good. Mm-hmm. I instantly move. I love dancing to it. And I'm like, but we can't have a completely apolitical song. In 2018 is the song of the summer. So where I landed was Americans by Janelle Monet, which both channels some of the political aspirations of This Is America <laughs> while still maintaining the danceability of I Like It. Drake's going to fuck me up, though, because I want to just make it Drake. <laughs> but how can So you- my vote is Americans by Janelle Monet. This song is so good. It is very good. So good. She's not playing enough festivals. I want to see this in a festival. Holy shit. I actually have not heard it in its entirety. It's so good. It's very like Billy Joel. Yeah. We didn't start the fire. Well, you just hear the Prince. The Prince comes through because she recorded this album with Prince. She did? Yeah, and then it like went in a box when he passed away. Oh, wow. Yeah, I made the mistake two weeks ago on the podcast of claiming it was Prince influenced, and I had no idea he'd written music for it. Yeah. Oh, wow. And the other thing about this song, to your point, is that the politics don't reveal themselves unless you really tune in. It's all there, but the first time I heard this song, I miss the point where she speaks for poor white people vis-a-vis that quote. Yeah. I miss just how radical this song is. Well, just like a, a, a queer black woman saying, I am America and don't fuck with my America is like, that's powerful. That's good. And Whoa, dare- I might have changed my vote. And daring to call all minority groups. Here it is. Here it is. I'm America. So good. And the Fallen Angels line, everything. Yeah. Wow. Everything. It's so my vote. Okay. I love that vote. I truly, I'll, 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 I'll jump in because for me, the one I wish it was, was Make Me Feel mm. by Janelle Monae. Mm-hmm. Mm. The first time I heard this jam. Yeah, oh, I have to God. get up and dance to this. I can't. Damn. The thing about this song is it, it sounds like it was written 30 years ago and it's just been a classic and has been danced to at every wedding for the past 40 years, but it's not. It's brand new. That's exactly. I heard this song and I was like, I need this to play at my wedding. It makes everyone feel sexy. And that is such a hard thing to pull up. You cannot listen to this and not walk a little bit more like this. I have I have danced down the streets of New York to this song in deeply unsexy ways more times than I can count. This song, uh, this is it's a it's a toss up for me over these two songs, but it's definitely Janelle. One of those moments, like. It's also this is going to be on every commercial for the next twenty five years, and she's going to make millions of dollars. Good, as she should. Yes. This what is. What does it better? That's just the way you make me feel. Oh, it's a little it's subtle. Perfect. It's perfect. And like the thing about this song too is that to your to your point, it has the politics, and I wonder if it will if they'll be disguised enough. In my in my dream world, that like it is a queer anthem. It absolutely mm-hmm. is, and it's also broad enough that maybe just maybe in some world, it gets embraced as an anthem for everybody. Mm-hmm. 
Like that's very much there, but you can graft what you want onto it, which is such a summer thing, finding any reason to celebrate that you can. These broad gestures of the sun is beating down and we have these archetypal beach parties and this and that. The summer as a season has very broad hallmarks and I feel like that song plays into them and in my perfect world, that would be the one. Before we totally leave Cardi, can we just play I Like It? Absolutely, because, because it's, it's not my vote, but it's really seductive. okay. I need to, I need to hear this again. And actually, we have to drink. We all have to drink. Oh my god, I'm going yeah. wasted. Uh huh. And oh, when she comes in, Jesus Christ. This isn't cheating a little bit. It's all right, you know. I, Janelle Monae is at a completely original. This, I, come on, it gives everybody. Everybody already likes. I like it. Like I mean, that. who doesn't like sexes from their exes? <laughs> Cardi is. God, she's so great. Eating halal. It's good. All right. Okay. I like it like that. <laughs> that part was me. Well, and, and I was Featuring Ben Furness. <laughs> I will tell you another interesting thing that happened this week with her, and it's something that I wish I could unpack more. But as a white male, I don't think I'm the guy to do it. But I will point out what other people pointed out this week. For some reason, female MCs cannot share the spotlight at the same time. And it's a thing that has been true in rap history for 25 years, whether it was Remy Ma coming for Nicki last year, whether it was the beef between Nicki and Cardi now, or Azalea Banks coming for, Azalea Banks coming for Cardi this week. It's been weird to see her get undermined by other female rappers this week in lieu of her success. Mm. There's been a lot of talk about, is she just an Instagram personality who gets ghostwritten lyrics for? Is she a real rapper? And I am a freestyle rapper, whatever you want to make of that. I think I'm someone who has been given at least a minor seat at the table Mm. um, in the sense that I have venues I can travel between and I will say that like she feels real to me whatever her background production is she's doing something that matters and that has cultural cachet and that people are responding to Mm. and it's crazy to me that the narrative of beef has had to come in and it's been a thing for years like Roxanne Sherry who was one of the first female rappers went after every other woman on the come up and Foxy Brown and Little Kim tried to kill each other and I do not get because there's only one spot for women you guys in each profession there's one spot and that's insane like, you would have thought that Motorsport, when it came out, which was a pretty damn fucking good Migos track that Nikki and Cardi were both on, would have broken that open. Mm. Like, we can have room for both of these women. Yeah. And I it, hope for everyone's sake that they all just sell a bunch of records. Right. And I think they will. And hopefully the beefs will just result in that. I mean, that's like the... That's, that's the hope. And, like, and, and Nikki is smart. Like, she's benefiting off the beef. And mm-hmm. that didn't actually sink Cardi. But this is Alia Banks stuff. Cardi deleted her Instagram. And for someone who came up as an Instagram celebrity, that is not a nothing gesture. Yeah. And I hope that doesn't sink her in her Song of Summer Conquest because I love that song. 
to me, here's what I do think is going to happen. This is, so I think it's going to be, this is America for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I sort of have a three-pronged prediction. <laughs> it's I just th- don't see how that can be, but he- continue. Here's the thing. So if it hits number one on the Billboard Hot 100, mm-hmm. which it looks like it's going to, it's captured the liberal market. It's captured us that are writing think pieces about it yeah. and that want a song that has some political element in it. Mm-hmm. And it's worth noting that if you play it on Apple Music or Spotify, you don't get the gunshots from the video. I noticed that also. Uh-huh. That's huge. I think he genuinely wants it to be a 4th of July party jam. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a way you can read into, as another article posited, that this is a Murica version of it, where you tune out some of this stuff. There's a lot of ad-libs by Young Thug and 21 Savage that are if not distracting from the political message, certainly playing counterpoint in a very fun way. Do you think it could go all the way, like Born in the USA, where we have a protest crit- critique of the United States of America? Excuse me. I do that think... Be- that like yes. will be played at the RNC in 2028. And actually, we all have to drink. <laughs> I would love that, and we all have to drink. Yep. Oh. Oh, okay. It's okay. happening, and I'm, I'm way far behind on my rule. We should all drink a lot for, based okay, on my rule. So let's finish what's in. I'm going to finish what's then, in here too, and then you guys, yeah, you're to blame for the rest of my night. No, nope, and we'll go again. I'm going to do the same thing. So one, two, three. Oh, mia. <laughs> so it's so great to do a podcast with an Italian grandmother, <laughs> a, a nonna. Nice song of the summer is that Zamore. <laughs> so here's how I think he gets. Oh, it. Pavarotti. <laughs> <laughs> Those were three perfect Pavarotti (laughs) impressions (laughs) And here's how I think he gets away with it What I think happens This is like option number one And the Krupnik is getting bored again Here's option number one Is I think he surprise releases an album Mm. This isn't a one-off Sometime between now and June 28th And I'll tell you why I'm picking that date specifically He announces the release of that album And that album comes out and this is America stays in the mix because the album stays in the mix and it does exactly what you said. It becomes a broad anthem and it hits that 4th of July moment and the political Mm -hmm. aspect of it gets dulled by his becoming a pop icon vis-a-vis that album because he's truly positioned to take the pop leap that he hasn't on any of his other records. And Solo can help with this, obviously, right? Solo can help with this. He's doing his tour, his press tour for Solo. Mm -hmm. Yes. People are seeing him on Good Morning America, and it It, becomes, you know. It is amazing, and again, just admitting the fallacy of doing this, white dude talking about a black artist here, but, like, I've always felt like one of the fascinating things about his art, I think, is that he's interested in how black Americans have to move through white spaces and whether safe spaces exist at all. Mm -hmm. And it's remarkable that he's giving us art like the This Is America video and the second season of Atlanta while he's playing one of the few (laughs) characters in the canon of pop culture that have been accepted as black characters. Like Lando Calrissian was a trailblazing character and here he is being in what for a lot of white Americans is probably a very safe space, which is Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And that will not mean nothing, both vis-a-vis the press tour and vis-a-vis the association with Lando Calrissian. That would be my prediction. And here he is dropping this album that will connect to the movie, and maybe that will carry it all the way forward. Despacito came out in early June. It's possible that a song can drop now mm-hmm. 
and take full hold. Hmm. To me, that's one possibility. My other two predictions, it's an Obama-Trump thing. This is the Obama moment. We have two songs of summer. We have two songs of summer. This is the Obama song. And then one of those country crossover moments, and I'm not saying it's about politics, but I do think country is primed for a moment, whether it's through the indie lens of Casey Musgrave Mm -hmm. or whether it's through the more mainstream lens of like a Kane Brown or Florida Georgia line. I do really like High Horse. High Horse is great, and I wish... That do you know High Horse? Yeah, I've heard it. High Horse is fucking great, and pop I'll it, pop it on. I'm gonna pop on High Horse because it's fucking great. It's it's, bas- it's a disco song. But it's, it's a it's a disco country song, and it's so cool that a song like this can exist. This is fucking amazing. This is as amazing as Sergio Simpson covering Nirvana in a country way. A couple weeks ago, I was literally driving from Los Angeles to Palm Springs with this on the radio. Oh, my with God, this on of course you Blasting are. in the car radio. That's amazing. <laughs> Drinking champagne and driving. <laughs> this is so good. I hear this and I want this to be my song of summer. This feels like summer, so I think in a way this... There's also certain songs that just feel more like summer than any other songs. Yes. You know, this is a this very much, I think, more than any of those songs on our playlist feels like summer the most. Which brings Sunshine. me to my third option. I Do you think. guys listen to Pop Rocket? They have a four-quadrant yes. song of summer theory, and I think it's like fucking, driving, dancing, chilling and like you can chilling is and if you have a four you, if you can have like a four quadrant song that's like the best fucking driving <laughs> chilling hanging <laughs> it's just that i swear to god that would be the most i think those are the four quadrants am i remembering that correctly those are the perfect four quadrants i i don't know if you're remembering it correctly but actually i think those are right <laughs> which brings me to my third option which is the thing i think is actually going to happen i want it to be this is america i want him to sweep what I actually think is Drake has it's an just ace up his sleeve. It's going to be Drake. It's going to be Drake. Can it not be Drake? So, so like, let me just, like, ah, fuck. I posted this on Facebook, and fuck me. Like, everyone else this summer is new hotness, mm-hmm. right? Casey Musgrave not Drake. has broken through. Drake is not new hotness. He's been there before. Mm-hmm. Childish Gambino has not been there before. FGL has not been there before, right? Uh, Carmen Carbello, this is her first go at it. Post Malone, this is really his breakthrough. A lot of new hotness. Drake has been on the charts at number one for 15 fucking weeks this year. That is unreal. Like, he's the Golden State Warriors of pop music. (laughs) He's just been dropping swishes while everyone's like, is someone else going to win the championship? And he's like, I'm out here winning games. And the record shows it. And, like, he has an album coming out in June. We've heard songs that are maybe from it. I'm not sure we even have confirmation that Nice For What or God's Plan are going to be on this damn album. And even fucking Look Alive with Blockboy JB. I like that Blockboy JB mixtape. I don't think of that as a Blockboy JB song. I'm like, that's a Drake song. And he's the featured guest. 
I think Drake is going to sweep in with something at the end of June, and he's going to give us an anthem. What if it's just nice for what the whole summer? I would be down with that. And what would be crazy is it would be like summer movies, where now summer movies come out in April. (laughs) That song came out in April, and Drake would be pulling a Marvel. He'd be like, fuck it. Summer starts in April now. I dropped that song in April, and we're good to go. Drake decides. Drake decides. decides And I have to drink like... Five fuck. Oh, we all have to wow. drink like five. Dear God, times. I'm gonna be drunk. Okay. And those are my theories. So Great. my hope is this is America. My belief is Drake. Whatever he fucking does, play nice for what? I'm gonna play nice for what? You demanding son of a right. Bitch. I know it's right. We gotta play nice. I for just what? love music. It's so good. I don't know who motherfucking representing it here tonight. This is perfect. It just does exactly what it came to do. And it's such a swish. It's so easy. I'm drunk. (laughs) How does a guy from Canada get away from saying... How does a guy from Canada get away with saying Louisiana shit and make it sound so right? He can say whatever he wants. Fuck, this is perfect. Toronto, baby. Oh, your basketball team failed, but your art rappers are perfect. So good. <sighs> Stepping back, we're having a good, good couple months. This is a great and music. <laughs> Truly, pop music has been great this year. It's been and, great. And one thing I'll quickly throw out, and then Molly, I want to know what you're thinking oh, yeah, is you, there was this well. tr- there was this term, and this is not something we need to talk about, but it's a thought I had. Poptimism was mm. a thing in 2016, right? And it was the idea that we were going to take pop music seriously as an artistic brand. And that it would benefit the world. We had albums like Anti. We had albums like Lemonade. uh, The Bleachers record to a minor degree that were pop music as capital A art. Mm. And somehow in 2017 that died. But what's remarkable to me about when we look at the charts now is we almost have this, if not monoculture, because a lot of people will tell you the monoculture is dead, but a weird crossover section where political values don't, seem to be an issue for making a song together and where people are dropping hits off of records that may or may not exist. Like, we don't know the nice for what is on Drake's album. And Florida Georgia Line is just making a song with Biba Riza and Carmen Carbello, who is deeply, deeply Cuban, is doing crossover with Kane Brown, who's a country singer. Like, that's not for nothing. Like, the cynical version of me wants to go, like, well, the label was like, we'll get more listeners this way. But the half-full version of me goes, like, yo, that's pumping up a Cuban singer in places where she won't normally be. Mm. And giving a guy like Kane Brown, who's a fucking great singer, like a platform that he won't normally have. I'm, I can be fairly cynical about Nashville country stars, and he crushes his verse on the remix of that. And I just think, I don't know what to call that in 2018, but, like, that's a cool place for pop music to be, mm. to me. I think that's very interesting. Mm. So you're poptimistic. I'm poptimistic right now. I think it's like poptimism 2.0. Oh, 
my God, I've been there for decades. Thanks for catching up, Kelch. <laughs> um, uh, what what are your two calls on this? Okay, so Beyonce's just gonna come out with a song. <laughs> that's called Song of the Summer. Fuck everyone else. <laughs> and that's just gonna be it. So that's your dream. That's my dream. That's what's gonna happen. What's your actual song of summer? Um, Prediction. Ugh, I mean, I love pop so much. Janelle. By the way, we all have to drink. Oh dear God. I know. It fucking I mean, sucks. I was gonna nominate Nicole Arbor's version of This Is America. Called This Is America, the Women's Edition. Have you have you seen that? No. Nicole Arbor, right? I don't know if that's how you say her fucking name. She's the Canadian woman who got famous from saying how disgusting fat people were. Hmm. Do you remember that? Mm-mm. No. She just came out with immediately. I don't know if you call it a parody video. Yeah. But it's shot in a warehouse, which is like cool. That's supposed to be like a prison reference, uh, and it's all about like it's the women's version of that song, and it's. Deeply embarrassing. And That's so awful. embarrassing. It's truly awful. And it's also wow. this thing that, like, women, when you say women, it's white. And when you say oh, it's black, white. it's men. You know, it's yes. like this, like, very basic, like, the white women's like, edition. Ob- observation. It's, yeah. Oh, it's so painful. But of course, she has no idea. Um, I, I, I uh, encourage the listeners to take a look see at That's that. Super oh, I'll post that on the Facebook. <sighs> it's really hard. And we didn't even talk about the Call Me Maybe, which is, it's so funny how, like, that is what the music video is about, is people making the Call Me Maybe version oh, that of the awful. music video. Yes. To distract from actually like engaging with the music video. Well, and, and, it's, and it's an interesting thing, and it takes us back to Atlanta season two, but it's a thought I've been having a lot. Like I think Donald Glover's whole career, and Hiro Murata's to a certain degree too as a director, right? Because he directed a lot of the more horror show. Yeah episodes of Atlanta season two, they like negative space and negative space needs to be filled by something. That's the whole point of negative space existing in art, whether it's a movement that occupies that area that has been left for someone to deal with or not. I even go back to mystery team, which is I, <laughs> I roll hard for mystery team. I love that movie. It's, it's his movie with Derek comedy and there's a lot of cognitive dissonance in that movie, the same way there is in that video of like these three grown men dressed as children who are solving a mystery. And there's a random scene in that movie where Bobby Moynihan cries for a minute about someone fucking a loaf of bread, and it's never justified. Just like a lot of things in Atlanta season two and that video are not explained for you in any way, shape, or form. And I think... That the the thing about like someone putting call me maybe on that video is an attempt to fill what seems to be missing in that moment. It's an attempt to make it comfortable and fill some of the things that you can't yeah. just rationalize for yourself. And it's part of why the hot takes have been both understandable to me and also kind of hysterical because I'm like, no, he left that open. And that's the thing he's been doing his whole career has been leaving you space to go like, I don't know what this is. And go there. Make a decision. Yeah. I don't know why the Bobby Moynihan bread fucking moment in Mystery Team is one of my favorite comedy moments ever. Yeah, it makes no sense. No, it makes perfect sense. But, but I fucking love it. And it's great. Great. And that's exactly why I love its appearance in that movie. Because it doesn't have any rationalization. And you have to do it for yourself. No, it's fucking a loaf of bread. It feels good, right? Yeah. Is that what happened? I guess. I'm never I never fucked a loaf of bread. You guys like fucking bread? Yeah, I just pulled a Jason Biggs and fucked a pie. But I love it. eating bread. 
Carbs are great. I guess it's sponsored by Honey Liquor. Um, okay, but Janelle Monet is gonna be some. I am. It's it's probably one of those two. Um, it's probably gonna be what's the other one called? Not make me feel American. American Americans. Maybe that one. Did I convince you? I yeah, you did because I didn't give it a chance because yes. I can't stop listening to make me feel. I just can't. Yeah. I'm one of those people that picks one song. And does not repeat another song. Um, and it's been that one. So I love how sexy it is, though. I really, really do like that. Yeah. Yes. Um, There's also Pink. We didn't really talk about Pink. Pink is not a good no. song. Pink is not good. I kind of agree. Pink's not good. I don't like it It either. sounds like a Rebecca Black song. Uh, but I love the video. So, we'll, But that's not even a contender. And that's a part of her aesthetic, right? Like the videos are important and they carry a certain cachet. But no, that's not my favorite song. No. It's been a weird week. Like Grimes has had a huge week, even oh, though I feel like she no. hasn't done anything. Like, I went. I never really listened to Grimes' music. Uh, this is very embarrassing. Oh shoot! Five minutes. Five okay. minutes. Okay, oh, let's go. This is very embarrassing that I never listened to Grimes until she started dating Elon Musk. Elon Musk's That's new album is incredible. You guys should listen to it. <laughs> so for the third week in a row, we're probably not going to do your cut off because we probably don't have time for it. I don't we even know what that is. What is that? That's a segment that I've I did once with. People were okay. like, we like railed on something, but we're not going to do it. Okay. So instead, having covered our song of the summer predictions, having covered our song of the summer predictions, we're not going to reveal what the drinking rules were for everybody. Okay. Ben, what were yours? Mine, and this was obviously inconsistently enforced, but it was anytime anyone said America. Oh, oh! that's good. That's good. America. Oh, good, good, good. Mine That's was just um, the worst country, <laughs> except for all the rest. <laughs> Spelled any way you want, America. Mine was just anybody that no one on the podcast would fucking know. <laughs> our friends, our friends. Every anyone, time yeah. you drop our names, I also should say every like time Pete you use Claire. the word partner, I want to make that my new role. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Okay, so I had a few. Uh, one was anytime we mention an artist who's had a number one single. Oh, just Bieber. By their artist's name, you have to drink. That's why Cardi B got us to drink and why Bruce Springsteen got us to drink. Got it. <gasps> I had any time that you talk about civic government, Ben, uh-huh, you uh-huh. have to drink. And anytime Molly went in on a straight cis white male. <laughs> but that actually didn't happen. Because I love them. Because they're because wonderful. Because I love them. They're my partners. And then I had anytime someone takes the Lord's name in vain, Ooh. which happened a lot of times on the test podcast we did, mm-hmm. but didn't happen so much on this one. Guess You're what? counting both the father and the son? Yes, it was yeah. it was Jesus Christ or like holy fuck Got or it. anything, so I have to drink twice now. Uh, but, okay, but how, fuck Jesus, okay, he's not real. <laughs> <laughs> You don't know that. He was a very good Jew. Ugh, he wasn't even a real man. <laughs> Get out of here. So we all have to finish our glasses <laughs> now. But the point being, that brings us to the end of this episode. So guys, plug whatever you want that you got going on. Is there anything you want to share with people that you have coming up in your life or in the general entertainment hmm. sphere? Uh, Area 52 is going to have the conspiracy show at the People's Improv Theater on... Uh, May 20th. Nice. We're really excited. We're going to have Nicole Spezio as our opening act. She is about to star uh, in her own Netflix, The Characters. So it's going to be a great fucking show. Super excited. Check it out. Yes. It's going to be fun. 
Great. Um, I have my UCB improv shows every Saturday at 7, UCB East with my team Women and Men. I'm also going to be doing uh, Story Collider live at Caveat on June 5th. So check that out. Nice. I have an episode of We Heart Heartnet dropping on the 15th where I talk about Black Hawk Down with the brilliant Patrick Willems and the brilliant Torpy Brothers. I will be doing a reading of Addison and the Black Hole on the 25th at Lincoln Center. And then the trailer for Skin is dropping any minute now. So you can see me as a neo-Nazi with the previously mentioned Jamie Bell and Vera Farmiga. So that's coming up. I want to thank Ben and Molly for being here. Give us a follow at On The Rails Pod on Instagram, Twitter. Guys, where can they find you on Instagram and Twitter? At B Furnace. It's very boring. And lots of city government. Yep. Whatever. Mine's my name, at Molly Gaby. And we will be back in a week with more hot takes and the Hoops Rap Edition, where myself and confirmed freestyle rapper Osiris Anthem will be going in on the NBA playoffs and championship and the state of basketball. We will see you next week. Thank you very much for being here. Subscribe. Give us a five-star rating. We out. See you soon. Peace. To the table, working hard, girl. Everything paid for. First, last phone bill, car, no cable. With your phone out, gotta hit them angles. With your phone out, snapping like you fable.